Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Marketing Meetup podcast. My name is Joe Glover, and I'm really, really just very grateful for you listening today. Now, today we have something slightly different. And it's different because we're doing an interview rather than just uh, releasing one of the talks. This interview is with someone you would have heard from before if you've listened to all of the Marketing Meetup talks. And this chap is Luca Senatore, who is the agency director at Genie Goals. Genie Goals are an agency specializing in the retail space, uh, working alongside people such as uh, Karl Lagerfeld, Mamas and Papas, Hackett London, and many more. They started out as an agency in 2012, so about six, seven years ago, and have grown to be known as one of EMEA's greatest agencies, specifically for digital marketing, and especially in PPC, but also in social and affiliate marketing. Now, Luca has grown the agency from the bottom up, so he has uh, written a book quite recently called The Agency Build, Grow, Repeat, and this is what he's speaking about today. It's about building an agency. A lot of the lessons that he speaks about in, in this podcast, you'll be able to take into your business too. Now, I think this would be really appropriate for anyone who's at the beginning stages of their businesses or sort of in that medium stage where they're trying to figure out a little bit more about how they can go about growing or defining their vision and sort of taking a step back and actually really trying to evaluate what's important. I really hope you enjoy this podcast. If you'd like more of the Marketing Meetup, head to our brand new website. That's at themarketingmeetup.com. Come along to one of the events. We're in six locations. Or just hit me up on uh, email. I'm at joe at themarketingmeetup.com. All that's left for me to do is to say, I hope you enjoy and I'll see you soon. So, Luca, I just want to start off with uh, why you think that it was important to write this book now. Um, So the book came about because we started receiving invites to speak at events and then we started receiving invites to speak at events on behalf of for Google to the top 3% agencies in the EMEA territory. And uh, we did the first one and almost immediately they've offered a slot in Berlin to talk to the German agencies and then uh, Milan followed and then most recently Istanbul in Turkey. And uh, I could see there were recurring questions, both from Google, they were trying to address these questions with their agencies, and from agencies. And the questions differed in nature. Uh, Google was really more about empowering these agencies to take control over their destiny, so to speak. And agencies were more about the practicalities and the intricacies and the difficulties and how you overcome those difficulties in uh, running agencies. And what I was sharing seemed pretty obvious, and not because I am or we are better than anyone, but because we have obviously touched on something that was very much needed from the industry and we seemed to nail that part. There are many parts that we haven't nailed, which are not in the book, but there are parts that we have nailed. And I have not realized, it didn't occur to me that we nailed those parts until talking to this agency with what I thought was just common sense. We were receiving reactions and uh, overwhelming feedback and requests for more. So I thought there is a clear need for this. 
So this was where the idea of building some sort of uh, rich content uh, came from. Mm -hmm. The other part of the story is that I truly believe that if every single agency did a great job delivering for clients, and that's not just performance, because performance can be affected by many things that you have zero control over, by experience, by uh, providing a transparent, honest, truly honest, so honest that you don't need to say that it's honest, uh, uh, approach and, and relationship, I think if every agency dis- did that, then every agency on the planet would have more business. Because there are an incredible amount of advertisers, brands, retail, uh, or otherwise, who still have issues uh, with trust when it comes to agencies. They don't trust agencies, they've been burned, they have got this idea that agencies are in it for the money, and most of agencies are, really, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Most, when I say most, I don't talk about our circle, but I talk about, if you, th- if you think about agencies as in the two-man bands, all the way to, to, to the large uh, corporate agencies, mm-hmm. un- unfortunately, there are an incredible amount who uh, value their own profit before anything else. And I think it's a bit of a, a mistake in prioritizing principles which affects the industry. So if by writing the book, I could direct a new agency to make the right decisions, and if I could persuade an existing agency to perhaps relook at their approach and change it, and by no means uh, am I saying that agencies purposely go out uh, with intentions of you know not being great. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes you just act out of fear, you don't know, we've been there and we can get into that later. But I thought if we can impact even tiny, tiny amount, the potential compound effect of this could be massive for the industry. And eventually we will all benefit from it as professionals. You know, Genie, our motto is to revolutionize digital marketing. So this is part of it, really. The book, mm-hmm. really, that was the main, the main motive. There's certainly no financial incentive in writing a book. There's not. There's very little money in writing any books. Um, you know, uh, because for every single Harry Potter, there are millions that want to become Harry Potter and never will. And especially when you do something as niche as you know, a product for agencies. Mm-hmm. So the book was really. I think half philanthropic and half selfish in a way that it's nice to put down your thoughts mm-hmm. on paper and then expect other people to read it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so you sort of covered like why write it now. Being invited to all these Google events, you're starting to see a bit of success. But it strikes me that we're only part way through the story because you're still involved with Genie Goals yes. very much so day to day. You know, I'm curious. Six years in, are you starting to see? Is this a good time to sort of sit back and reflect on your agency journey? Or is it just that you're just being very reactionary towards these Google opportunities? God, it's a great question. Um, I've never thought of it. but So I think any early or much earlier would have been very hard to understand what's what. The best analogy I can think of is a journey, you know, and if you're going from A to B, whatever B is, you know, whether it's Kilimanjaro, whether it's more of a city break that you're off to, um, this is the part of the journey where we are far from the destination, but we can see the map, mm-hmm. you know? It's almost as if, if you have a sat-nav and you zoom out as much as possible, you know, if you are so far that even zooming out as much as possible, you still don't see the destination, mm-hmm. that's too far. Mm-hmm. I think we are at the point where if you zoom out as much as possible, we're still far, but you can see the destination. So I think we could have a better understanding of what we've done in the context of what there is that can be done. And for that reason, it seemed like a good time to write a book because it's 
significant and substantial enough to be writing in a coherent uh, kind of way. But it's also real because the problem with waiting until you're Gary Vaynerchuk or, or, or Social Chain or any of these giants, it's, it's very hard not to be detached from what it is that is involved in running a business day to day. It's very hard. Because the guy that I admire a lot from, from Social Chain, for example, I mean, he spends 95% of his, of his time traveling and speaking to media and so on. And it's just really hard. I mean, I'm sure that he's, he's good at it and he's doing the best that he can. But it's very hard to not be detached from what goes on, uh, you know, in, in the cogwheel. So it just felt like a good time. But like I said, if it was too early, then there's too many question marks, which would have made the book a book of opinion. Yeah. Which, you know, somebody may like, but mm-hmm. it's a book of... So mine is a book of facts. So the, one of the biggest benefits, and here I'm probably jumping way ahead or sideways, mm-hmm. I don't know, fine, but fine, one perfect. of the biggest advantages of writing, writing the book is that I had to put facts mm-hmm. behind my opinions. Yeah. Now, my opinion is probably a very good opinion, even mm-hmm. if I say so myself, not because I'm good, I'm not good, actually, mm-hmm. because I've been in marketing for a long time. It's informed so it's experience. an informed, exactly, it's an informed opinion rather than what I believe, right? Uh, and, but when you write a book, and this is credits to my editor, she was every, so my editor didn't really change the book at all. Mm-hmm. So she obviously looked at the grammar and, and, and so on, but, but, you know, she really, she really didn't change much at all because she said, I want to leave the book as untouched as possible. So she, mm-hmm. she made it English, so to speak, right? <laughs> but one of the things that she said, she commented on was everything that you say needs to be backed up by research. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. it forced me to go out and do research and pull mm-hmm. up, um, university studies and it was a lot of time that went into that but it was incredibly useful because it reinforced my opinion somebody i can't remember who but somebody once said if you have an opinion strong enough people will follow Mm -hmm. you cannot have an opinion strong enough unless you are two things one is wrong one is right Mm -hmm. the one is arrogant yeah self-opinionated that's the wrong reason to have good strong opinions the second is because it informed mm-hmm. yeah and uh, i think writing the book allowed me to do a little bit of that you know because mm-hmm. i had to go and research so mm-hmm. uh, some of my opinions actually changed through the research yeah. um so so um it's really interesting you say that it reinforced your opinion you know about you know growing an agency primarily yeah. um was there anything you learned about either yourself or the business through the process of sort of going and writing the book yeah, for sure. A great amount. I think if any of you listening do any coaching or teaching, whether it's sports coaching or business coaching or, or teaching even kids, even be, if you martial, you know, do martial arts, even if you teach a white belt, you learn a lot through doing it because you kind of have to break down and deconstruct the basics. And I feel when you do that, it kind of reinforces the fundamental parts of what you're doing. And next time that you do it, you become you do that, you become more aware or probably both actually intentional about doing it. Sure. I think writing a book did a bit of that. Sure. But there's also elements, um, I can't think of any specific one, but, but, but I'm sure there are several where I was talking about a topic, uh, a part of going an agency or a business, mm-hmm. and then that seemed to rec- seemed to call for an additional element, an additional part that I had little understanding of, and therefore I had to go and research. For example, one of the things is um, the attempt to build a decentralized reality, a decentralized team, where you don't, realize, you don't rely just on people based in the office and, and, 
Uh, you don't rely just on people based in your town to recruit, but you actually open up. That's something that we started doing at Gini, mm-hmm. but we haven't actually implemented well enough for me to document. Mm-hmm. And in the book, I'm very sincere um, about the fact that, well, actually, I think the introduction of the book says it. You know, the book is full of stuff that we've done and done well and worked, yeah. stuff that we've done didn't work, and stuff that we know we need to do, but we haven't done yet. Mm-hmm. So the introduction actually says that, and this is one of those, where we know we have to do, we started the process, but we don't really know... Um, where it will end up and, and, and that I had to research and mm-hmm. so I was able to learn through researching and then informing the team and now we're actually uh, deploying that strategy based on the stuff that I learned by writing the book. Makes sense. No, it's really cool. It's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated with the learning processes and, you know, yeah. just generally, you know, self-improvement, you know, it seems like this experience, you know, both from having had conversations with you prior to this chat, you know, just uh how much it, you know, has been a learning process in itself that, you know, sort of forced you to reflect on the agency and how it's grown, but then also, you know, learn, you know, just learn a new skill. So it's really cool. Um, so I think that a lot of the people listening to this podcast are going to be marketing managers or marketing generalists. And the thing that they're going to get out of this podcast in particular is learning how to either grow um their, their small team, like an internal agency almost, uh, inside a company, or more appropriately really for this conversation, grow an actual agency themselves. So um, they might be a freelancer right now, or they might be thinking about taking the leap and you know, having gained a, a skill set over the past few years and ready to take the leap into their own agency. So what I hoped we could do is put together some sort of exercise. And really what I want you to do is to imagine that you are starting an agency again from day one, knowing what you know now and starting today. Um, This agency can be anything you like. Uh, I'd suggest that it's digital marketing uh, because that's what we know and that's what the audience will know. But really I've, I've structured a series of questions that I think might illuminate people in that position where they're just starting out to engage the practical questions that might be going through their heads and then latterly some of the challenges they may face later on. Mm-hmm. Does that sound okay? Yes. <laughs> so you want to be the guy that starts? or um, So are you the person that starts the agency and you ask me questions or am I the yeah. person that starts the agency? You're the person that starts yeah. the agency. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if we put a name to it. We can call it Genie Goals at <laughs> worst or... We can, uh, a name is not important really at this mm-hmm. stage, but I, I think we're a, a digital marketing agency okay. starting on day one and the founder, CEO. Okay. Cool. I've, the first thing that I think would be really interesting is you're, you're on day one of your new company. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you start with? And I thought a lead for this might be, do you start looking for business based mm-hmm. on your skill set? <clears throat> or do you start setting a foundation for your company, be it through processes or a vision or a mission or branding? Right. Um, what do you think? So I think the very first chapter after the introduction of the book is the why. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, the why is really, I didn't want to call it a mission because I think the, the word mission is really mm-hmm. overrated and, and it's not really used in the wisest of the ways. But the why, it's, it's just a very simple 
question, you know, why do you want to start an agency? So before, actually, you talk about day one, actually, I'd like to take it back to day zero, minus, actually. Mm-hmm. Why? Why do I want to start an agency? Because that's a very important question. There's nothing that makes me more sad than people starting a venture of any sort just for the sake of taking a slice of the pie. I think that's sad. I think that's not going to work. Most likely it's not going to work. So we all know that whilst 77.5% of statistics are made up, we all know that when they say 95% of startups fail, they are very close to the real number, right? So most most startups fail. And within that, if you look at the stat, it tells you that most of the startups that fail, uh, fail because the startups that fail, fail because there's no demand. So number, reason number one for businesses to fail is because they do something there's no demand for, right? Mm-hmm. And reason number two is because they run out of cash. Yeah. Right. So if you just focus on these two reasons, that they, they give you the answer to your question. Because the first one is, if you do something because you want to take a slice of the pie, mm-hmm. but there's not demand for a new iPhone, there's not demand for a new agency, you will struggle. Yes, you can create demand for stuff, you know, Steve Jobs, Donnie, and whatever. Mm-hmm. But let's face it, you know, the, the, the odds are very much against you. Anyway, they probably the argument of whether playing the lottery or something in business it, it becomes a valid one. So... I think working out your why. Why is it you want to do it? Is it because you want the freedom to work for yourself? Is it because you know the industry has got some loopholes and you can fix them? Mm-hmm. Is it because... So the first thing, you need to work out your why. It doesn't have to be necessarily romantic. It could be just because we know we do it better. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Collision Brothers, the Starter Stripe, uh, there are two... Um, you know, coders, really. And they did it because the financial industry was very much uh, obsolete, in a way. If you wanted to put any type of payment gateway on the site, it would have taken an incredible amount of people and time and money. And they simplified, you know, this operation. It was a good why. I think when you have a strong why, then you're able to push for adversity. You're able to look at metrics that are important, but perhaps not so emotionally charging in different ways. Mm-hmm. You can find more resourceful ways of achieving things. But if your why is just very materialistic and unimportant at the emotional level, I think you struggle. So mm-hmm. first thing is, why do I want to build an agency? If I really get into the character that you, that you put on me, like mm-hmm. a wetsuit, <laughs> I would probably want to start an agency because... I have this obsession with creating. So I wanted to I want to create a reality. I want to create a place where people can come in, mm-hmm. think in I want to lure people in with a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, people Just they come and work for me. I want them to come in with a lie. The lie that are gonna work for digital marketing agencies, the lie that are gonna earn money through doing it. But actually I wanted to create an environment where they grow personally as well as uh, professionally when they can become more the better version of themselves, yeah? So that would be my real hidden purpose. <laughs> so that would be my big why, you know, to inspire and touch as many people as possible because that's what gets me up in the morning. What can mm-hmm. I say? That, mm-hmm. you know, when I see people, I mean, through this book, it's so, so new. If it was a baby, it would be one day old. And I already have people messaging me thinking, somebody said the other day uh, on a message, I'm, I'm becoming very emotional reading it. You know, and I love it. <laughs> I, I so for me, touching people in that way. So that would be my big, one of my big whys, right? Mm-hmm. And when you do it that way, then you, your principles, your mission, everything else will follow and it will mm-hmm. fit into that. Mm-hmm. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Does that answer yeah. the first part of the question? Uh, yes, I think it does. I think um, it would be quite interesting to know how you would then translate that to yeah. a, a business. Yeah, know, a, the business absolutely. Mission. So very important because if you just have a romantic vibe and not practical 
uh, business elements to it, you're probably going to be very happy bankrupt, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily a bad thing to do. If you're really happy, if you can sustain the happiness level, but most people can't, right? Because so the second, which is actually also the the third, well, this uh, sorry, the second chapter of the book is the what, mm-hmm. right? So the book has introduction, the why, and the what, mm-hmm. and the what is very much what you said, very sensibly. It's Okay, fine, you've got a good why, you know why you're doing it, it's not just the money, it's not just, but now what? Mm-hmm. So the one thing that I think every single business should ask themselves, whether they're starting or not, is what is remarkable? So that's the first thing, because if we start something and we're just another agency and we're just another business, just another shop, just another bar, just another microphone producer, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be a little bit harder, yeah, because... What is our remarkable part? And it doesn't have to be a better mic. It doesn't have to be a better agency. It doesn't have to be a better anything because better is a fake word. You know, better is only applicable to yourself because you know that you're better than yesterday. Yeah. You don't know whether you really are better than somebody else, right? Absolutely. But what you can do is to build something that is remarkable. That is remarkable. And remarkable only means that it's so different that it deserves a remark of some sort, right? So in uh, my case, if I was starting an agency, I would do, um, I would probably focus on what we did at the beginning, which is to provide performance accountability to uh, to our campaigns mm-hmm. and to become a true extension of our team to lead uh, every meeting with the stuff that didn't work and then talk about if we have to the stuff that did work. So... Uh, I would, I would provide, and that's also why we specialize in retail, I would provide as much expertise in a sector where I know uh, I'm talking about something mm-hmm. that perhaps many people will struggle to follow because they haven't had as much experience. So we'll try to build something remarkable. Yeah. For Somebody asked me the other day uh, on, a, on a group, um, but what uh, everybody says that you should specialize in a vertical, whether yeah. it's retail yeah. or yeah. and you know, because otherwise you can't be remarkable. And I mm-hmm. think that's absolutely not true. Specializing in the vertical is something we've chosen to do, mm-hmm. but it's not the only way. Yeah. For example, you could become a design agency. Mm-hmm. You're a web design agency, but instead of specializing in the vertical, which could be one route, yeah. you could become the, the performance design agency. So mm-hmm. we're a design agency, but we don't just build pretty websites. We build websites that convert. Mm-hmm. So in our team, we just we don't have designers and and um, and uh, web developers. We have behavioral psychologists and we have CRO experts and so on and so on. You could build a niche and that's remarkable. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. did that, then you will be one of very few, if not one, the only one known mm-hmm. that is a web design agency but actually has a very, very big investment and energy on performance. Mm-hmm. You see what Absolutely. I'm saying? So Absolutely. I can't tell you what people listening should choose as remarkable but mm-hmm. certainly sit down and choose something that you can make remarkable mm-hmm. through an angle through uh, a specialization, a vertical, as long as it's real. Mm-hmm. Because you can't really fake it, because otherwise it will transpire. So I talk about what's remarkable. The second thing that I talk about is um, what problem are you solving? Because ultimately, if there isn't a problem, then you're faced with, still a possibility, but you're faced with another question, which is how do you then put that problem to the customer? How do you convince the problem that that's a problem? How do you convince the, the customer that you, they have to take action if they don't perceive it to be a problem? Mm-hmm. So we always try to put a problem next to it. Sure. Uh, so if I'm this web design agency that focuses on performance, the problem is that you know web design is seen as something that just needs to look pretty, mm-hmm. but actually if you think about it, 
from the beginning, we build a website so that we can convert. Sure. Whether that's selling a product or selling a lead or selling information or mm-hmm. giving information for free. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's still it's still performance. That's quite interesting though. So um, would you say that it's more important to start uh, almost with your own passion and, and your own mission and then subsequently the business mission and then retrofit a problem to it? Or do you think it's best to start with a problem first and then look to solve it? Or is there somewhere in between think, the two? I think either way it's fine. I mean, if you... So this opens up another question, which is probably borderline of psychology and philosophy. <laughs> but I think if you are acutely aware of a problem, it probably, it might not, but it probably indicates that you have some sort of passion for that thing, right? Because mm-hmm. you're acutely aware of many problems that you're not doing anything about in the world, yeah, right? Yeah, there sure. are the 17 golden problems, you know, mm-hmm. you may be working on one or two, if any, yeah. but what, you know, don't you care about the others? Of course you do. Mm-hmm. It's just you don't have enough passion, Absolutely. you know, to have them top of mind. It's probably the same thing. Mm-hmm. If a problem occurred into your mind so persistently you probably have a passion yeah so I, d- I don't suggest that what i said in terms of the why the what's uh, is sequential yeah. um, i think you know one can come before the other as long as they're both present doesn't awesome. matter who comes first yeah i think yeah I, don't, I haven't thought about that but it's a good question uh-huh. but i don't think i don't think they are in order of importance or in order of of chronological order yeah. i think so they just need to be there okay you know? yeah yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, because absolutely, I can see people thinking, "Shit, there's a problem that I can fix it." <laughs> but, but you see that, that if you have that, actually, it's probably easier to come up with a why, because yeah. the why is to fix the problem. Absolutely. The book actually came with that, with the same, you know, mm-hmm. with the same either. So, as long as they're both there, it doesn't matter which one. Cool. And um, and and so, but but I think it's important to be able to solve a problem. The moment you start something and you're romantic and you're strong about it and so on, but you don't, there's not problem there. Mm-hmm. You unfortunately fall into that vast majority of startups that fear because there's no demand. Because, For sure. You know, people, in marketing, most people will disagree with me, actually, but this is something I'm very passionate about. The problem of most, most marketers is that they obsessed uh, to try and understand what people need. Mm-hmm. Yeah? yeah? And they sit there and work out what the problem of a customer is, and they do that very well. They do research and service and so on, and then they force a product or a solution to these people because they think they need it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. You know, mm-hmm. I know I need to lose weight, right? Uh, so I know I need to lose weight, right? It's, it's very easy for me to know. I yeah. put my trousers on in the morning, and they tell me <laughs> that I need to lose weight. Step on the scales, it tells me I need to lose weight. Yeah. But I think what we need to work on as marketers is to listen more so that we know what people want. Because mm-hmm. what people want and what people need are two different things. It's, it's far less, you know, it's not about the losing weight as much as it is fitting into your trousers or looking in the mirror. They will never know if they don't listen. But if they know what I want, mm-hmm. then they'll be able to give me what I need mm-hmm. in the shape of what I want, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I think um, I think that that's... That's very important. Now, once we worked out what the, the problem that we're solving is, so we are out of that danger of failing because there's no demand, and we worked out our why so that we have this emotional, so to, to speak, uh, almost a turbo boost. Now, the second thing is the practical stuff. You know, how do we stay in business? Mm-hmm. Which goes to address the second issue why startups fail, which is we're not out of cash. Mm-hmm. And as unromantic as it may sound, if I'm starting an agency today or any business, yeah. the number one priority on the practical level, once we've done the, the is cash. 
Absolutely. You need cash in the bank. Absolutely. Don't have cash in the bank. You can build the best agency in the world. You can build whatever you want. You're mm-hmm. probably going to fail. Mm-hmm. So cash is king. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes that means that you have to compromise. You know, you have to sometimes, I mean, there are the non-negotiables. Mm-hmm. So for example, I would choose to go out of business instead of working with gambling organizations. I would choose to go out of business instead of working with uh, anything that promotes uh, uh, war or weaponry and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they are the non-negotiable. So I choose. It needs to be a, a very conscious decision. I choose that I would prefer to resign from my ambition to run my agency and to become uh, the best entrepreneur, whatever. And I would choose to go and do the most perceived, this you know, kind of less valuing job that I can find. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that means that I have to work with, but once the non-negotiables are, are, are defined. You might have to compromise if mm-hmm. your ideal client uh, is to work with a fashion retail brand that you know is global and is well known. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, you may have to be happy to work with you know you know job blogs on the road that starts a, a clothing brand, and, sure. you know, or find some other way to get cash. You know, Absolutely. whether you get investors, it doesn't matter. You need to have cash in the bank. So Absolutely. if you don't have cash in the bank, you struggle. Uh-huh. And I actually had a conversation with a friend about this the other day. You know, and. Uh, even if you do that work, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to shout about it on the website or or whatever. You know, there's really no reason why you have to. You know, you you can have that that very strong principle base, and you can you can know where you're going and, and where you need to. But then you need to keep the lights on. You know, so you don't put a case study in your website, but you sure as hell take the work. You know, for if sure, it, if it works. And it's not, it's it's really about working out your. Again, 80, 20 could be 70, 30, 60, 40, it doesn't matter. But working with the staff that pays the bill and gives you the cash, mm-hmm. and then having the 20, 30, 40%, as much as you can afford, working towards your aspiration. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, you, you have a side hustle, a side business you want to build, you know, but you have to pay the bill. So you have a nine to five, yeah. but, you know, there's a lot of time outside of nine to five. It's an incredible. I mean, most of the times when I'm in good shape, mm-hmm. I do 80% of my work before seven o'clock in the morning. So there's a lot of time that can be used to build a side hustle or a business. Or if you have an agency, you can do the nine to five, you know, even doing white label stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the, the, what I consider to be, if you are in a, and this is, by no means an offense to those that do white label, but if you don't want to do white label, if you want to become a boutique agency with a brand of your own, there is n- there is nothing further from that than doing white label. Mm-hmm. But if that's what pays the bill, you have to do that. And then do the 40%, 30%, 20% on building your brand. And, and you do that by whatever it takes. Sometimes it takes working for free. Mm-hmm. You go to a big brand and say, well, I'll do it for free because I know that I'm new. I'm not stupid. Yeah. I know that I'm good, but I also yeah. know that I'm new. Mm-hmm. Let me run your account for three months for free. Okay, let let because this actually goes on to the next question quite well. So if you're in your 30% time or, or whatever, you yeah. know, how do you go about finding your first client? Or, your, well, yeah, your first client, you're sitting there. You've done your pre, you're literally on day one. So yeah. how do you go about finding that first client? So if you do this right, I mean, unless you're 18 and just out of school, mm-hmm. you know, you don't quit your job with no clients. If you can't help it, you need to be strategic about this. Um, you know, that doesn't mean working, uh, you know, in, in a hidden, with a hidden agenda from your agency, but, you know, you, you can start 
looking for clients whilst you still work. Because if you work for an agency or for a business, you work nine to five or eight to six, whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's say you work eight to six because you work for an American company, right? <laughs> you still got loads of time to go and find, you know, potential contract. And that could be somebody that you work for free mm-hmm. uh, once a week on a Saturday. Yeah. And you do that for three months before you quit. And in the three months, they see value. So they give you a contract of a thousand pounds a month. So when you quit, you know, you're not, you know, uh, really uh, yeah. super skinned. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that I would do is to try and avoid having day one without any clients or mm-hmm. any, any money coming in. And then the way you find uh, clients, unfortunately, or it depends on your attitude to this, is activity. A lot of people focus on KPIs. KPIs are important, but the KPI is just the outcome of activity. So what does it take? And again, you need to be pragmatic, ask people. So mentorship is one of the things that's very important. Find somebody who's done what you're trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. As building an agency or building a business from zero. Not somebody who came with, uh, you know, uh, uh, Father Fred, uh, <laughs> two hundred grand, and so that, that's not that's not what I'm talking about. Find somebody that started from nothing and built something, and and get together with them. Don't ask them how you did it. That's a stupid question, mm-hmm. you know. But start with them, you know. Ask them for guidance, you know. Mm-hmm. And tell them when you've got problems, and mm-hmm. and I think that way you'll grow. And and activity is number one. So whether that's uh, it really depends on how you are. Uh, as a person, it could be face-to-face networking, it could be mm-hmm. social networking, it could mm-hmm. be call calls, it could be handwritten letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book, we talk about, I think, section two, which is grow, which is exactly what you're talking about, um, goes from, I can't remember all the chapters, but I think it's the selling, the marketing on LinkedIn, the marketing on Facebook and Instagram, the marketing on Google, the marketing on YouTube, the marketing on networking events, the marketing on social networking, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> exhibitions. So there are an incredible amount of channels they are all available, but chances are that you like some more than others, sure. and some will work better than others. Sure. So the uh, first big client that we got, I think, was through a, one of these uh, exhibitions events. We were not even exhibiting. We went there and we started a conversation. And right. you know, right. I think you just have to do activity. It doesn't quite matter what that activity is. It yeah. certainly isn't watching Gary Vaynerchuk on on YouTube all day or reading my book all day. It's about doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always, I always called it that with my wife. I opened seven, I, uh, to date I've done seven businesses, none of which has gone bankrupt, none of which has um, failed, all of which I either sold or passed on to, to some other people. So I think I take pride in that because, because you know, we always paid everybody that had to be paid and we made some money in the process. So we created some, 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 some good stuff for the economy. In small, in a small degree, but we did it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I always talk about moving the water. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to do. You have to move the water. You don't move the water by just listening to this stuff or reading books. You need to do whether that's, you know, like I said, call calls, mm-hmm. whether that's calling your friend, your uh, ex-colleagues and asking for referrals, mm-hmm. whether that's going to networking. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. But a lot of people go to networking or, or do social networking for the wrong reasons, forgetting their final objective. Sure. I'm not saying that you should pick up the phone or go on LinkedIn and say bye, bye, bye. No, not at all. But you always need to remember that that's what you're there for. You're there to create business. Sure. Think long term and, and, and add value before you sell and all that jazz that I talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. But eventually, you must, you must do activity. Activity that eventually converts. Mm-hmm. So like I said, I would... 
depending on how much cash I've got in the bank because of existing contracts, but I will probably prioritize making sure that my financial situation is, is stable. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's reaching out to other agencies, say, listen, I'm a, a new starter, but I've got this year of experience working for an agency. Can I do some white label work for you? Sure. And that pays my bill. It makes me relaxed. So th- there is an incredible amount of stuff that happens when you do that. And you probably have to cut this because I'm talking forever, but there's an incredible amount of stuff that happens. And the most important of which is that you are not desperate anymore. Mm-hmm. When you're desperate, you will be tempted to send a spammy email. Mm-hmm. Let me do some work for you. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm the best. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, and it's not you. It's a bit like when you're drunk and you call an old girlfriend. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. you get drunk by desperation, then you do the stupid things. You know, it's stupid, but you think I've gone over. You know. Yeah, yeah. If you've got some cash coming in, yeah, then you're relaxed. Absolutely. And when you relax, you do your best work because you don't come across as desperate because you're more strategic about it because you're you're more yourself. Absolutely. So definitely nail the cash first by doing white label or whatever it takes, mm-hmm. right? Let's say that you go solo today and you're so unfortunate that you can't find one label, you can't find anything. Yeah. Then, you know what? Start your agencies full-time, but don't open until 2 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And go do rubbish collection in the morning or work in a cafe in the morning, and that takes sure. care of your cash. Sure. Do something that <laughs> takes care of your cash. Yeah. Ideally, from your agency, and most of the times it will come. Mm-hmm. And then you can do your building. Yeah. Um, through networking, like I said, through call calling in every channel that you, uh-huh. that you think uh-huh. may be viable. Uh-huh. Nice. Okay. So you've uh, you've met your person. You've met who you think will be your ideal person uh, at a networking event. They said, come on down and give us a pitch. Um, you've done quite a lot of pitches over the course of time. Yes. <laughs> Are there any, you know, call it the top three, the top three tips that you've, you've picked up over the course of time for, uh, and you, it doesn't have to be three, it could be five, it could be one, it yeah. could be two, but... Um, you know, just uh, so my top tips. Yeah, your top tips. <laughs> so there is actually a, a, an article, I think, on LinkedIn itself, uh-huh. rather than a link to my website, I think it's an article within it. So if you go to my LinkedIn profile, I think you'll be able to, I think I only published one article, so it should be easy to find. It talks about the pitch. Okay. And that is one of six parts of what's mm-hmm. involved. So it's a big, chunky, uh, yeah, uh, I was about to swear. <laughs> yeah, but it's a big, it's chunky fun. piece. Uh, so... Depend. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to have to imagine that this is me. So yeah, I'm building, yeah. as you say, what did you give me? A digital marketing agency. Yes. That changes depending on what you sell. You know, For what sure. I'm saying may not be applicable to everybody. But where possible, I wouldn't go and pitch. Mm-hmm. I, I would go and present the pitch. Mm-hmm. This is something that even with, uh, we've got a very experienced uh, business development manager mm-hmm. who has been in sales a long time. And I gave him the, this, this. It wasn't, I didn't present it as a tip. He asked me my opinion. I said, this is what I would do. And he said, well, this is just so, so counterintuitive for me. Something I, uh, but okay, I'm going to give it a shot, you know. And now today he told me he loves it. It's the best thing that I can do. Which is to send the pitch and the proposal and the fee beforehand. Mm-hmm. Right? Nice. And people hate this. <laughs> uh, but I think it's the cleverest thing that you can do. Now, it needs to be uh, preceded by an audit or something as close to an audit as possible. Yeah. And what I mean by audit is understand exactly what it is that the customer is trying to achieve. Now, if you sell digital marketing for paid search or paid social or whatever, it's easy. Mm-hmm. You ask for access to that account, you look at the account, you work out what's not ideal. Mm-hmm. So you create a document that tells you, the customer, this is what uh, I don't think is right. Mm-hmm. This is why I don't think is right. Yeah. This is what I would do instead. This is what I think the results should be. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's super easy, right? Then I will put that information into a proposal. Mm-hmm. 
On the proposal, I will put the service levels and all the stuff that you want to shout about and the price. Yeah. And then I will send it to the customer. And then if they invite me over, mm-hmm. they invite uh-huh. me over to validate what I've already told them. Uh-huh. Right? Sure. We don't spend hours talking about how I came up with that fee and yeah. blah, blah, yeah. blah. You know, the, yeah. fee, the fee in digital marketing should really be a nuance. You know, it's not something that because... Because the fees are important. My objective is to make my fee redundant because mm-hmm. I'm going to add so much value that you don't care about the fee, right? For sure. Um, and so it's very important to, I think, solve the problem as soon as possible before you go and pitch. So that's number one, if you can. Let's say that you can't do an audit because it's not so straightforward. I would absolutely do what they call a discovery call and try to understand exactly they talk about the pain points so much it makes you vomit but really what are the pain points why i why are you even talking to me and actually before we started doing all this so what it was impossible i was like why people would ask me uh well you know for an inbound inquiry people would ask me oh would you would you be interested in running this account and i said mm-hmm. why yeah. Why do you want me to run it? What's yeah. the problem? Mm-hmm. And it's a counterintuitive, but this is how people speak. For sure. The problem with pitching and request for proposals and is that all of a sudden, agency owners and salespeople become all salesy. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'd love to do this. And <laughs> how fantastic that you reached out. I'm glad. But this is not how we speak. <laughs> it's not. Imagine you go into a store and say, I've seen that pair of jeans. So I'm so happy that you like that pair of jeans. I think it looks fantastic on you. I'm so glad you got in touch. You don't do that. It's weird. And why do you do it over i think it's something very interesting i'm not a sales guy by by you know trade so mm-hmm. this is my marketing touch to it but it, sure. it, it does it makes my when i reach out to people and they respond like that it makes this whole experience just like all the other experiences yeah, for sure. right? when people reach out to me why you know mm-hmm. so i meet somebody in a working event and they say okay great look i come up mm-hmm. come up mm-hmm. and be just why what is that mm-hmm. i said yeah. that makes you want me to, i love that thank you very much obviously i'm super <laughs> glad but i need to understand why so that i you know can absolutely match your expectation and then they tell you when mm-hmm. you start well, the funny thing this is very counterintuitive but the funny thing is that when you start talking like a human being you know what happens they respond like you. Yeah. <laughs> weird. It's so weird. But it's true. It's so true. And if you ask all of the clients that we want, they will tell you that. They will tell yeah. you that we spoke to them as human beings. We try to understand exactly what they wanted to do. The one thing that I can tell you, ask me for the three to five hundred tips. Yeah. I can tell you one thing you should never do. And this is one of the things that if you are desperate, it's the first thing that you'll do. Is to go in and say we 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 we. Sure. It's the most counterproductive, crazy thing that you can do, mm-hmm. because even if you are impressive, mm-hmm. even if you are, I don't know. Let's you know, imagine your idol in this industry. Even if you are them, it pisses people off that sure. people go in we 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 we. So everything that I think you include in the pitch should be about the customer and more than the customer about the problem. Mm-hmm. If you understand the problem, you don't even talk about the customer, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about the problem. Yeah, yeah. Talk about the solution. For sure. You talk about the outcome. How it's Almost make, forgetting who you're talking to in yeah. a way. I often said to customers that we need to realize because our problem that we're solving is making sure that customers that land on the site convert more mm-hmm. and more people land on the site through, through a, a, an advertising campaign. And more than once, I said to customers, we need to realize that we, Genie, come third in this relationship. You come second, and mm-hmm. first comes the customer. Sure. And they like that, but it's true. I don't say it just because it's nice. It's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. So this is another tip. Don't talk about you all the time, because that bores people. 
find out as much as possible at the beginning before you meet people what is the pain why do they want you to go and pitch mm-hmm. uh, and it's important that you do that I would then build a, doc- a document this may not always be possible but most of the times it is build a document that shows the nuances beforehand mm-hmm. the, the stuff that you don't want to be talking about the, mm-hmm. the, the fee and again if you are desperate for a new business for that client and you're prepared to work for free mm-hmm. then it might be a, a slightly different, uh, but I still would put your fee in the agreement, mm-hmm. and then I would have a call, mm-hmm. and I'd be very honest. I said, "Listen, I want this contract," and uh, what I did actually, this is this is something just came to mind, but I actually did at the beginning when we were strong enough, but not too strong, mm-hmm. and I would have a brand that just by having on our side without value, I said to them, "Listen, I put that fee. That's what we need to charge," but. I'm not going to lose this control over the fee. So if the fee becomes an obstacle, let me know and we'll talk about it. Okay. You're just very honest. Very, very, very yeah. guess what, like a human being. <laughs> and it paid off. Mm-hmm. It really mm-hmm. paid off big time. <laughs> no, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, so um, your client is enthused. They're, they're, uh, they've taken you on. They've said yes. You know, you've agreed the fee, you know, and, and you've had that conversation. You've got that human relationship. At this point, I mean, what does doing a job, good job mean to you or the client? So, you know, sort of that, that maintenance part, you know, you've, you've onboarded your first client, but now you've actually got to do the thing, you know. I mean, how do you even start doing that and how do you know that it's going well? Well, for the first thing, obviously, is expectation. Uh-huh. And if you find out why they brought you in, then you're able to feedback what you think you're going to do. For sure. And if you find out the why very well and you, you, you illustrated what you're going to do very well, mm-hmm. then any gap in between the expectation uh, becomes obvious. Mm-hmm. So if you've done that well, you're already kind of nine steps uh, ahead. And then communication is vital. So keep communicating on a weekly, daily basis if it, if it, if it requires that you do that. And obviously, we all know that the input uh, is what you should be accountable for. Mm-hmm. Performance is important, but sometimes performance is outside of your control. You know, you have no control over Brexit. You have no control over the, the pound exchange. You have no control. You know, if you sell performance marketing, you have no control over maybe the conversion rate or the size piece that may com- you know, influence on, on conversion. So you can't really just be accountable on that, but you have to... Uh, certainly be accountable on the on the input mm-hmm. so I would definitely say um, at the beginning of the relationship of the relationship I would definitely uh, work out with the customer what it is that uh, you know we're looking to achieve the objective the KPI mm-hmm. the input KPIs the service levels uh, I'd agree on weekly calls so that you aim at becoming an extension of their team so you work like a team and if you work like a team uh, what a team does is that when something goes wrong, they have no fear mm-hmm. uh, of saying it's gone wrong because it's typically not because of negligence, it's because it's just gone wrong. So mm-hmm. typically a team comes in and says, we have a problem, Joe, we, we did this and this this happened. Mm-hmm. And the agency should do the same, you know, mm-hmm. should work. Uh, during the meeting, they should open up saying, oh, we, we had this uh, great uh, hypothesis, we tried this test and it didn't work and blah, 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 and this is what we learned. And this is what we're going to do to fix it. Yeah. So become a real extension of the team. And what's important during the, uh, the account and the relationship is really the transparent approach and then working as hard as possible and, and, and not over-promising. If you say we are the best retail digital marketing uh, business agency in the world and then 
and then you get caught because you don't know how to do certain things that you should. Then, then sure. you made a mistake so so long ago that you know you're trying to fix something that is unfixable. But I think if you go at it with a transparent approach and you're very honest and you work as an extension of your team and you lead with narrative and you let the results be almost the the performance is the result of the, the input, then sure. I think it's much easier to maintain good accounts. Absolutely. But certainly transparency and, and um, communication. We see an incredible amount of agencies that go into uh, quarterly business reviews mm-hmm. and they live with these fancy slides with all these this metrics showing that everything is up. And it's, you know, it's just the wrong thing to do. I'm just writing an article just before we, did, we started this interview about um, the relationship with the relationship with uh, agencies. And one of the things that brands need to do is to keep agencies accountable to the real KPIs. Because let's say you and I agree the sales are a KPI. And, and then the agency comes in and shows you all these impressions and all these interaction and these likes and whatever. But what are the sales? It's very easy sometimes as a brand to be distracted. So as an agency, you don't want to do that, you know. Well, say, listen, the sales uh, target is not achieved this month. Mm-hmm. And we believe it's because of A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. On good news, you know, we affect these metrics, which I know is not what we're looking for primarily, but we believe that these metrics will then influence. Sure. So it's a more honest approach than saying, oh, great news, the engagement is here, the likes are <laughs> here. Oh, yeah, sales didn't come, but they will come. You know? It's the same thing. For sure. It's just phrased in a different way. Absolutely. Right? The Absolutely. first one is like a teammate. The yeah. second one is like a salesman. For sure, for sure. Okay, last question on uh, building and growing, and then we'll go very quickly into repeat, and then we'll we'll wrap up. So uh, recruitment, um, you've defined your mission. You've brought on your first new client. You've defined the ways of working. When do you decide to bring someone else into the mix, and and how do you make sure that they both hold up your standards, but are equally like enthused about your mission, the thing that you've created almost. Well, if you worked out your why is very uh, clear at the beginning, then it's a, it's an easier job mm-hmm. because uh, you will then build a series of attributes or personas, if you will, uh, and you present this why to these people right, mm-hmm. as a leading piece yeah. and they either buy into that or not. And the thing is that if somebody doesn't buy into their why and it's the most amazing uh, professional, you probably want to be very careful before giving them a job. Sure. Because if they don't buy, I mean, there's a, a study done by um, Dan Pink that argues the motivation is provided by three main things, being autonomy, mastery, and sense of purpose. Autonomy is the ability of people to making decisions without you micromanaging. Mastery is the ability to know and how to do it, so skills and training. And the third one is a sense of purpose, you know, because people don't really give a shit about the fact that the business is making money necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got their own reasons to be there. But if they can get a bigger purpose that everybody's aligned with, which is, you know, whether creating a great place to work at or saving the world through blah, blah, blah. But it's a why that everybody buys into that is detached from the business and uh, why, which is more financial, then then you keep people motivated, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the number one. That's the, that's the, that's the number one. Uh, the number two is to create uh, an interview process that allows you to measure these things. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would break down the ideal candidate or the ideal into several things. We, we have smart, so people that get it. Mm-hmm. So people that when they don't know, they tell you that they don't know. Uh, people that do what they say they're going to do is very important. It doesn't matter whether that's uh, little, but as long as they do what they say they're going to do, then you can trust them, mm-hmm. and then you can start this 
motivation, autonomy, mastery, purpose thing. And, and finally, you want to have people that really fit in. Mm-hmm. And and by fitting in when you have nothing, when you have mm-hmm. 50 people, it's easy. You know, yeah. They either fit in or they don't. Mm-hmm. But when you have nothing, yeah. what do they fit in when? They have uh-huh. to fit in with your why. Uh-huh. And if they do that, then you're on to a good road to success. Makes sense. If you have the wrong people in your organization, even if it's tempting because they got the skills, they got the network, they can sell, mm-hmm. you're really injecting poison into the organization. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like, for those of you that they smoke and want to stop, uh, it's a bit like smoking. You know it's, uh, you think a little bit of pleasure now, but it's poison. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. Hello, Bella. Hi, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Yes. Did you record my conversation with my wife? <laughs> I said, that's too bad. <laughs> that is. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, repeat the final section of the book. Um, and I, I guess there's a, it's a really bad interview style, but I'm going to do it anyway. So, <laughs> assumedly, a lot of this follows from the why. You know, you've got your business, the, the mission is defined by it. You've got your sales process, which people buy into. You've got your recruitment sorted because you get people to buy into the mission how do you keep doing it again and what were the biggest road bumps along you know and and you're almost stepping in a time machine now you know because you've done it six years along the way you know what were the biggest things along the way well i mean arguably i'm 15 years along the way because i've been with other businesses before and and some of this stuff has been repeated Mm -hmm. and and i think that's key really because when you do once something once you don't know whether you've been lucky or unlucky when you do it seven times then you can understand the stuff that consistently works or consistently doesn't you know that's very important so this interview has been two things the first one is very unprepared you know both you and i decided consciously not to prepare the book has got this and i'm not selling the book here i love for everybody to buy the book because i think it can add value uh, but this isn't uh, me trying to get you to buy now but <laughs> the book is very organized because obviously i have time to think in this exercise that you and I have done, it's very much fictional, based on a fictitious character, on a fictitious, fictitious situation, with a mindset that is very far from the fictitious character, because mm-hmm. I've done it, so it's very hard for me to really get into that mindset. But what I said, I think, is pretty applicable to 90% of businesses, and it's probably 80% accurate. But you touched on something very important, which is how do you do it in, in a scalable way? Mm-hmm. And you already answered that question, actually. In your, in, your, um, in your question, you had the answer, which is the processes. Mm-hmm. Everything needs to be made into a process. And, uh, and this can contradict the being human if you take it that way, but you don't have to take it that way. Because uh, you make all the uh, stuff that you can into a process and you keep the human size by, by just being a human. So, for example, the best analogy is when um, you receive an email newsletter. You know full well that that goes to many, many people, mm-hmm. yeah? No, nobody is naive enough to think that that's just to you, yeah. Joe Glover. But he has Joe Glover. He, he says, hey, Joe, right? <laughs> and it's almost, if you think about it, it's almost like a, a bit offensive, really. You know? I know you're not fucking talking to me, you know? <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. But because the reason why you accept it and the reason why we all accept it is because we know that the person that sent it knows that we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Sure. So it's not a pretense. Mm-hmm. The moment we think, they think they're fooling us, then it becomes offensive. Sure. And it's the same with processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So we build processes to make sure that instead of redesigning all the interview questions, you know, the mm-hmm. first time that we do it, we document it mm-hmm. in a place, in a, in a way that if it works, we just repeat and then keep that document. Otherwise, we'll adjust that document. We document all the process. Uh, when we do a pitching deck, the first one that I did properly, you know, with the audit, with the, with the uh, reason, with the why and so on, 
took me two weeks. Mm-hmm. Now it takes me two and a half hours mm-hmm. right? because of processes. Sure. So you need to build processes into your business. Uh, have a CRM um, software. It doesn't have to be Salesforce if it's too expensive at the beginning. We started using a one page when we were a very tiny business and we mm-hmm. still use that platform. Sure. And it costs next to nothing. Where you document everything that has been said between you and client and a client, and you make a process, you write a policy on how to use that document before you need it. Mm-hmm. The, the secret is to do it before you need it. Okay. So that when you need it, it's already there. Yeah. And it may be yeah. very thin and it may be very minimalistic, but then mm-hmm. you can build on it. So really build processes as much as you can. And the way you repeat things like winning business, it becomes, and, and the same goes for uh, getting great people to work with you the more you do it and the easier it gets because now you have data for sure so as i said before it's very hard to get people that fit in when there's nothing to fit in with Mm -hmm. right so you have to really lead with that why the why needs to be almost like a a big stone that you ask this person to carry and if they can carry it across the interview room then they (laughs) win it right but when you have 10 people it's implicit yeah it's in the atmosphere it's in the energies in the in in the dna Mm -hmm. people will come in this doesn't smell like i can fit in they'll Mm -hmm. feel it you know but when you don't then you have to have things that that tell the story and the same with the sales process at the beginning if you have to build up this big pitch you may as well just do a document that could fit for any customer and then leave the stuff that you personalize so really try to lead um, everything that you do in a process led way uh, so that you document everything so that your job and this is this is something quite interesting your job and that of any senior person in your organization should be to make yourself redundant mm-hmm. so that anybody coming in can do that sure. right and if you lead a transparent operation transparent to your customers but transparent to your staff people will know that you're not gonna make them redundant mm-hmm. you know for real once they make themselves redundant you find them a more exciting job mm-hmm. yeah and that's exactly it you know sure. i think everything to a certain degree needs to be made so that anybody else can do it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. makes sense super right we're gonna we're gonna close on that luca thank you very much the book is called the agency build grow repeat do you mind if i add to that because the, the, the subtitle sure. of the book is very important which for is sure. how to build a remarkable agency business that wins and keeps clients and inside in brackets I added and stuff <laughs> and uh, and obviously we've done this very very briefly but in the book I try to cover everything from A to Z that can help people start or, or run and improve their agency off the top of my head uh, the chapters are the introductions the why the what um, which is really about coming up with what, what are you going to do um, the um, relationships, the speed, the people, uh, the marketing on various platforms from LinkedIn to, to Google to Facebook and Instagram and networking events and exhibitions and sponsorship, the selling, the pitching, the communication. And there's a chapter about the gratitude, which I was very, very close to leaving out, especially after I ran it by my wife. And she said, what the hell? This takes me so left field. You know, it's so different. It seems, have you, have you watched um, From Dust to Dawn? No. Have you not? So from dusk till dawn, if anybody listening watched it, you know what I'm talking about. It's basically a movie that starts off like this this very ordinary story uh, of uh, ordinary story, but very, very um, plausible mm-hmm. of a family in a camper van, and then they get 
hijacked by these criminals and they end up stopping at this pub or bar whatever and then all of a sudden this pub becomes full of vampires and so on but (laughs) from that moment on the movie is so different (laughs) so totally from from the previous part so when I the first time that I watched it I watched it until uh, that was a long time ago and there were still ads that you couldn't skip Mm -hmm. so I watched it ads came out went to the toilet came back and Cody, it just started like a few seconds before. And I thought by mistake I must have pressed the remote control uh, and changed channel. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, the, the chapter about gratitude feels like from the book. And then I run it past the beta readers, the early readers, the editor, and say, oh, should I take that out? And everybody said, oh, you're crazy if you take it out. And that chapter, I think, is very, very important. So if you do buy the book, uh, maybe start from the chapter called the gratitude, which is at the end of the book. It's really, it's actually after the end. Mm-hmm. And then go back to the, to the why. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Luca. Appreciate your time. And uh, if you enjoyed this format of podcast, uh, please let me know. I'm at joe at marketingmeetup.com. And uh, look out for more of our events, podcasts, uh, workshops, newsletters, and who knows what else we'll be putting together soon. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, I'll see you soon. Bye.